Hello and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about running tabletop role-playing games. Each episode, we randomly pick a topic on our D10 table of topics and discuss it. My name is Chris Salzman. And I'm Andy Rao. This week, we're joined by a special guest, Jessica Snyder. Hey, how are you guys? Jess, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, yeah, so what exactly is your history with gaming? Um, you know, I think I know that you, you're GMing a, a D&D campaign right now. I am. I started playing D&D about six years ago. Um, I went down to visit some friends and they, they're like, oh, we're playing this great game. It's called D&D. And they sent me the entire player's handbook and we're like, yeah, just read this before you come down. <laughs> um, I didn't. And we still had a great time. Uh, I think we played D&D for about a week straight and I was completely hooked. Um, so I've been, yeah, playing on and off since then, and then got into GMing about a year and a half ago and currently running, um, a group through the Lost Minds of Fandelver. And then I got, um, a couple other like one shots and short little things going on. So that's great. When you, um, so why did you decide to be a, a GM or sorry, a DM, I guess? <laughs> GM, DM. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I was having a hard time finding groups well, the honest truth was I lost my game to a breakup. And mm, so yeah. I was like, shoot, I need a new game. Um, so I couldn't find one. So I decided, well, I'll just learn how to do this and I'll start my own. And um, I had an idea. I loved I loved the um, Garth Nix books when I was younger, the Sabriel, Liriel, and Aporson. I don't know if you guys know. I don't know those. Do you know those, Andy? I've heard of them, but never read them. Okay. Yeah, they're uh, they're young adult, but they're absolutely delightful. So I wrote a quick little one shot off of that, and I was like, ah, yeah, this is way more fun than playing. <laughs> this is what I love. So, yeah, I've kind of stuck with it since then. That's fantastic. What was the uh, what was that first adventure or that first game like when you were being introduced to D anD D, and you played for the week straight? What what was the situation? Did they just drop you right into the deep end, or oh. uh, or what? Guys, this is kind of a weird story. You're going to learn. Okay. So <laughs> they, so my friends um, lived in Missouri at the time. So uh, we were all in college. I caught a really late night flight, um, got to their house at like 11 o'clock at night. And they're like, great. We're so glad you're here. Put your costume on. And here <laughs> is um, a really big glass of alcohol and a handwritten note from one of the other players, the DM. And he was out hiding in the woods. And so we got drunk and went wandering through the woods um, looking for him, found him in a hut where he was the hag that we had to ask questions of <laughs> and find the clues. Um, we uh, He made this like super bizarre like elixir we had to drink out of it was supposed to be a cow horn but i think it was actually a dog toy um <laughs> and i think at one point we danced around the bonfire at four in the morning and then i came back from missouri and learned that that is not how D, &D is typically played <laughs> and i was terribly disappointed i was so upset <laughs> did you stumble onto the cast of like a focus on the family like special in Dungeons yeah, i think i might yeah. have yeah <laughs> i think that might have been it <laughs> Oh my goodness. That's great. Yeah. That, um, usually, you know, people get warned if it's going to be a LARP, I think. Yeah, no, that's exactly yeah. it. I, yeah, I accidentally LARPed and yeah. Would you ever do that again? Or was that just like, you know what, I'm happier just sitting at the table. Uh, it was pretty fun. It was, I was a lot younger then and 4am was a lot easier to, <laughs> to get to. Yeah. Um, but my, no, the same group of friends that I go to the Renaissance festival every year. So a lot, a lot less structure, but still dressing up and hanging out together. So I still like some of those elements of it. Well, I don't know how we're ever going to 
know anyone on this show is ever going to top like that intro to D&D story. I, totally I wouldn't recommend it. It was trial by fire. I had no idea what was happening. Every, yeah. Everybody else we've talked to has been like, yeah, well, I was like in seventh grade and in my parents' basement and and I found it with my friends. <laughs> um. So how did you find your, your current players then? Um, I went through actually the meetup group. There's a, <clears throat> there was an Ann Arbor meetup group and went to a couple of those one-offs and met a guy named John who was running games there. Didn't end up sticking with that group. The dynamic wasn't awesome for, for my preferences, but he mm-hmm. reached out to me like a year later was like, Hey, I'm putting together a group. Do you want to join? And I was like, absolutely I do. Mm-hmm. And at the same time had found some friends in the area who are really into board gaming. Mm-hmm. So after a while kind of brought together my, my various nerds and assembled them. And um, the idea behind the game I'm running right now was that it's for people who've never played before. So it was, I had never GM'd before. So I was like, perfect. They have no expectations. They don't know what is supposed yeah. to happen. And um, all of them, except one, Brandon, our mutual friend, um, have not played before. So it was a good space for them, nobody to really feel stupid or uncomfortable or like they didn't know what was going on because nobody knew what was going on. That's great. Yeah. And, and knowing Brandon, right, he's going to be a, a pretty, pretty nice experience. Oh, he's, he's the best. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. He knows the rules cold and it saves me all the time. And has it been D&D your main game you run or a variety of things or? You know, I've mostly done 5e. I've done a little Dungeon World. Um, One of the campaigns I started in in Ann Arbor was um, a Dungeon World campaign. And I really, I have really come to love that system. Um, It's pretty elegant. So a little bit of that. Uh, As you may know, each episode here, we ask our guests to roll a d10 with no modifiers. And that the results of that roll will determine what we discuss for the next uh, while. So, Jess, do you have a D10 handy? I've got one. All right. And before we begin, is there anything cool about this D10? Is there some personal history on this? Or is this one of, did you get this in a pouch of like 500 dice for a dollar? I got this in a very cool clear box that said Chessex at the top. (laughs) Um, But it is in, uh, I don't, I can't quite reach it, but my dice bag was made by a friend and it looks like a Cthulhu. It's got uh, tentacles and little button eyes on it and it's real sweet. So it comes from the Cthulhu. All right. Well, roll the Cthulhu D10 and let's find out what we're talking about. All right. A three. A three. Okay. The topic that your Cthulhu die has fated us to discuss is running games for different sized groups. Ooh, this is fun. Yeah, um, I guess why don't, to start, what is, uh, how big are the games you guys are currently running? Primarily, I think my, my lunchtime game that I run, we have about five players, although it can vary depending on people's schedules. So sometimes it's two and sometimes it's six or seven. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so it varies quite a bit for me. How about you, Jess? Um, my game of beginners, there's six players. And then one of the, uh, campaigns I wrapped up pretty recently had three, three or four, depending on the day. So. Okay. Yeah. I find that, uh, three players is usually about how many I have in my games. What would you guys consider like your ideal size? If you could pick an ideal size or does it vary from game to game? You know, it's interesting it, it, to me, it varies, um, even kind of depending on the session, right? So when I've had just a couple of people, I found that those sessions end up being pretty interesting because you you get to focus on sort of a 
you get to focus on characters in a way that you you really don't get the chance to when you have say six people sitting around the table. Um, so when I've had that scenario, sometimes what I'll do is we'll actually just sort of do like a, a flashback and you know do something that's more like a character character oriented. So it ends up being a very different feel for me. But then yeah, I guess on the other end of things, um, I find it just really hard to sort of manage a table when you have more than five people <laughs> five people at it. Um, just because yeah, you're you end up like losing their concentration. Um, pretty fast unless you're just very on top of it and making sure that you're drawing people back in. So I guess that's been my experience. What about you, Andy? Oh, yeah. I think my ideal size is uh, probably about four players. And uh, like from a D&T perspective, that lets you cover all of kind of the key roles in a party. Not that everyone always covers the exact, uh, those, you know, fighter, wizard, healer, rogue, but... uh, but you can get close to covering all those roles usually with four players. Um, much be- much bigger than that, and yeah, I, I think you do start running into some of the attention problems that you just mentioned. <laughs> How about you, Jess? What would your ideal uh, game size be? I, uh, I have some friends in grad school right now who are trying to recruit me to run a game, and uh, I insist no fewer than four because uh, especially you know people can't make it. You're down to three. Uh, I agree with Chris, though. I think some of the most fun I've ever had at the table is when there was three three players. The the chemistry just seems a lot better. Yeah, especially when it's like three three pretty engaged players. I feel like you can do sort of a lot. Something that I like doing actually quite a bit is um, running kind of like different different scenes at the exact same time with different kind of sets of party members. And when you have three, you can almost you can almost kind of sustain having three different sort of scenes going at the same time if you're bouncing back and forth between them. Um, so creatively, that can be really fun, although exhausting <laughs> as well. What's the smallest group size? Well, I guess what's the smallest and the biggest group size you guys have run for? Jess, why don't we start with you? Mm, my group of six right now is probably the biggest. And that, yeah, that gets a little slow. I've tried to come up with ways to make it a little faster and a little, especially combat can get so slow. Um, but yeah, that one's pretty, that one can get a little bogged down. And then I think the smallest is three. I found a one shot. I haven't run it yet, but it's for one, one person. And mm. I think that's so interesting. And I, I haven't read it yet, but I think that idea is actually pretty cool. Is it, is the, the GM, the player as well, or do you have, you have a GM and a player? I think there's a GM and a player. And I, okay. I think that like chemistry would probably be super interesting. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. What are the, what are some of the things you've done to keep combat moving when you have a ton of people? One of the things I've tried to do is I'll put on my DM screen, I've written everyone's name on a little card. So I'll hang it over the edge and then I'll have numbers for all of the different um, other creatures or monsters or things so that they can keep an eye on where they are in the encounter order and keep an eye on how, um, how things are progressing. And then I also recently got a battle map. I hadn't used those before, but with uh, six people and six monsters, all of that, it pretty quickly became necessary just for, you know, AOE spells and all of that to keep it, because um, I would feel bad, you know, they'd be like, oh, am I close enough for, you know, to, to get both of them at the same time? And I'd have to, off the top of my head, you know, my imagination versus theirs. I'm like, yeah, I think so. Or, oh, I feel like no. And arbitrating is what we're doing, of course, but I wanted to make it a little more obvious. So yeah, the the lineup on the GM screen and the, the mat itself have really kind of helped keep people engaged and moving a little quicker. When you have a, a large group, like let's, I would, con- I would consider like six players to be the start of pretty large size group. Uh, do you find that a couple of people end up 
dominating the role playing or uh, are you able to keep everyone involved? It's hard, I think, unless you are, yeah, again, unless you're paying attention to it. I think the the natural sort of inclination is for it to end up with just a couple people sort of dominating, dominating the conversation, what's going on and speaking for the group and stuff, um, which is that's where I just pull out, like asking people super directly, like what they want to do. Um, you know, So if someone's being quiet, it's just like stop everything. Like, OK, like what is your character doing? You know, what do you want to do in this situation? Because otherwise, yeah, I mean, it is kind of easy, easy as a player if you don't want to engage or your, your sort of your natural inclination is not to engage that way to just sit back and just kind of like watch a movie, right? <laughs> watch the movie of everybody else doing, doing the thing. Yeah. And the, the bigger the group, I think the easier it is to hide. How about you, Jess? I don't know. I, I remember being very fond of hiding when I first started yeah. <laughs> playing D and D actually. I well, was there, not there is something nice about that. Isn't there, you know, um, yeah. you know, if you're just, Maybe you're not in the mood for it that evening, or you just feel like chilling. D and D, it's nice to be able to fade into the background. If you it is, to. and I'm not a theater kid, and I am not a you know, I don't even as a GM, like I really struggle with like NPC voices and all of the mm. mannerisms and the stuff. So first learning to play, I was super shy, and I really didn't want to role play. But I loved the story and I loved the mechanics. So I I have. I spent many afternoons sitting quietly at a table, <laughs> occasionally <laughs> rolling dice and actually really kind of enjoying that. So Yeah. Yeah, there's something to be said about that. So Andy, have you ever had like way too many people show up to to a game? You know, I can't say that I have. I I don't know what the biggest size game I've ever run, but honestly, the vast majority of my games throughout my whole gaming life have not had more than like 5 people. Uh, regularly in them a much more pressing issue for me is how to run games for smaller for groups on the smaller end of the spectrum not the bigger end of the spectrum um so i guess i kind of listen enviously to you guys talking about you know five or six or more players because i those are problems i don't have it would be fun to have some of those problems i guess yeah <laughs> until you're faced with <laughs> six yeah, yeah, exactly i've played I've played in games that had a lot of players, and I found that to be a little bit of a mixed experience. Uh, some of the pluses that we've discussed already, the spotlight isn't on you quite as much, uh, and so if you want to sit back and observe for a while or just think you can. On um, the downside, though, there is that, you know, when you have six people cycling through combat, you know, you, you run into that old D&D problem where, you know, you do your turn and then you just have to sit there for 12 minutes, you know, flipping through the rule book or trying not to check your phone or something well until your turn rolls around again a while back i think actually before i had ever i think even played D, i was at a board game night for whatever reason i mean i'm sure this is a familiar story for a lot of gms like you end up being the person that has to explain the rules to everybody mm. <laughs> um yeah and we were playing i think it was seven wonders or some game like that where there's seven players Everybody, I think, had been drinking a little bit and like no one really wanted to pay attention to the rules. They just wanted to play. And so I spent the whole time running around sort of like, you know, <laughs> reteaching the rules to people as they would forget from turn to turn and like giving them advice and stuff. And I'm just like spent the entire time like so there's seven players and I'm the eighth person just sort of running around doing that and that experience alone kind of made me realize like <laughs> i never want to do that <laughs> um, that sounds pretty terrible yeah it was really terrible it was probably like you know it was it was also funny right because it was just like th this could not go worse right <laughs> like you know, there's just, there's no way this could go worse we should just stop and play a different game at this point <laughs> um 
but yeah, but having that experience in my back pocket is nice because now if, you know, you know, I have a table that has, you know, six players at it. If a seventh person shows up and wants to play, I can say, um, no, like, yeah, but I'll put you on the list if someone has to drop out. So do you guys find that your, um, that the game group size, uh, fluctuates from session to session in a way that, that gives you problems you have to deal with? I'm uh, trying to figure this out with one of with my campaign right now. Um, six is nice because there's a big buffer, but um, so I'm actually so as I've said before, the mutual friend Brandon is in both Chris and I's game, and we're running the same module. So I have been heavily editing my module to make it different, um, and so uh, the players are a higher um, level than they are written for. So I've been upping the encounters and, you know, tweaking the XP and all of that and the, the challenge rating and everything. And so if I if I have one player who can't make it, um, that's fine and we'll, we'll keep playing. But if I know in advance two people can't make it, I'll typically actually cancel because it's I just have a hard time. Uh, getting the the balance right especially right now we're going through a dungeon so keeping all of the encounters level and keeping everything copacetic is kind of tricky if, if i found i'm two people down out of six i will actually just defer to the next available date especially in lost mine like i find that it's it's a surprisingly deadly little campaign oh i wrong. almost wiped them all out last time i felt terrible <laughs> <laughs> almost a tpk <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting. I guess, yeah, Andy, so you have, I think you have more experience than, you know, both of us combined um, with running games. Do you, do you find that you can kind of adjust on the fly if you had two people suddenly say, oh, I can't make it? You know, actually, my, my usual reaction is very similar to Jess's. If enough people can't make it that it is going to make me do a lot of on the fly adjustments, I will usually push to reschedule or something. Certainly, you guys, as well as I, you know, you can, you can wing it if, people just don't show up or if someone ends up being super late or something like that. But, you know, a game like D and D, like you say, it's the difference between an appropriately challenging combat encounter, especially in like a dungeon type environment and a deadly one is there's not a big difference. And I don't know, I don't like putting myself in a situation where I have to wing it too much. Um, Cause I don't, I don't want to start just like fudging stuff, you know? So I don't know if it, like, for instance, in my, uh, I'm running a game of the one ring kind of intermittently right now has three mm -hmm. players. If, if one of them couldn't make it, I would, I would call it off. Um, it, that two players would require too much of an adjustment and the storyline and the combat, you know, situations. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I think like, like D and D in particular is really not suited towards, you know, you don't know who's going to show up. Yeah. Like Jess, you had mentioned dungeon world and like playing that like dungeon world, I feel like could work a little bit better with that, with just like, well, whoever shows up, I can kind of wing it and with that sort of thing. And like, there's, there are other, I think games that are sort of designed around that concept of like, we'll, we'll play with sort of whoever shows up this week. Um, especially like the, like the West marches style yeah. of a D and D campaign. If you've heard of that before, um, like that can work, <clears throat> work too, with just like, you have a ton of players and then, you know, who knows who shows up and how many, how many people are playing. My uh, GM who runs the dungeon world will actually do um, a Mad Lib at the start mm. of some of his games to figure out what the game is. And that always, that impresses me to no end wow. because there's no way I could do that. Yeah. But um, yeah, as a table, we'll do a Mad Lib and figure out where we are and what the, what the situation is. And um, I aspire to that level someday. <laughs> 
Will they then stop and like take a take a moment to sort of think think that all through, or do they just go with it? <laughs> Not usually, honestly. Normally, we and I'm sure he's doing just mad amounts of calculations. And again, it's Dungeon World, so it's yeah. um, a little more flexible. But uh, no, he just typically launches right into it. So when you guys uh, when game night starts and somebody is sick or can't make it, or you're down a player or two. How do you handle that usually? Do you, um, first of all, what do you do with a character that's not there? Do you, do they vanish? Do they uh, get controlled by like the rest of the party uh, and used to find all the traps? Uh, do they, does the GM take over that character? What do you guys do? Um, I usually just um, pretend like they're not there. <laughs> you know? Or you know, maybe we'll come up with a story reason after the fact, but usually don't try to, to force it too hard. Because it's like, you know, the way that I treat it is like you're, you're playing in a fantasy world anyway. So I don't know, just that person isn't there <laughs> for the time being. Um, actually, last session, two sessions ago, I had one player who like we ended the session with him sort of confronting this cultist, you know, this cultist directly. Right, and then he couldn't make the next session suddenly, so it was just like, all right, let's just rewind five minutes, and we'll <laughs> we'll try a different approach because like there's no way sort of out of that. I can't slot in a different player, and like you know he he was about to have a big role playing moment um, at that point, so it just didn't make sense. How about you, Jess? How do you handle it when a player uh, when a couple people can't make it, but you decide to run the game anyway? I've been really trying to encourage everyone to upload their character sheets uh, to Google Drive. Because, um, and then with their permission, we'll have someone play their character during the campaign um, or during the, the session. Uh, last time it was interesting because our druid uh, couldn't make it. And he, we didn't, I think the last character sheet we had for him was like two, two levels behind. So <laughs> that wasn't ideal. We had finished after an encounter. It was in a dungeon. So there was no really getting out and long resting or anything like that. So spell slots and all of that were... Uh, HP even we were just kind of like well we'll give them half and yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll call it good <laughs> um, so so far I I find it uh, and I try very hard you know I caution everyone don't don't kill their character like you know be good to be good to these people please um, but so far I will typically uh, with people's with the the person's permission have their their character continue but uh, I I really like dungeons and dungeon crawls so there's typically not always a great exit for that character so i mentioned earlier that the the part of this topic that i need the most help with is when you is running D for smaller groups of people i know that some role-playing games are designed to work with smaller groups but i personally have found that uh, your typical published dungeons and dragons adventure is totally geared for like a balanced party of like four-ish or so characters and that you can add character, you can add players without wrecking the flow of the adventure. But when you start removing players, it really starts dramatically changing like how typical encounters go. So I'm curious, like, do you guys have any tips for like a fairly dungeon crawly type D&D experience where you're really under, the party is understaffed, but you but you do kind of want to run this kind of classic D&D dungeon. Do you guys have any experience or tips for that? Um, a campaign I'm in right now, there's only three of us. And on a metagaming level, we've just had a lot of cooperation in making our characters really versatile. Okay. Um, so I'm playing a wizard, but I'm taking different feats that give me healing spells because we don't have a healer. We have a, a fighter and a rogue 
and the wizard. So, you know, no cleric to be found, no druid. So, um, but everyone is kind of being pretty expansive and trying not to pigeonhole their characters too specifically yet so that we can kind of all shift and kind of take some of those different roles that we're not able to fill. That is, that is, that's cool. And that's really tough. Like you, you highlighted one of the big problems is like without a healer, a dedicated healer, <laughs> like D&D changes like massively. It's very difficult. It's very difficult. Unless your GM gives you a pretty steady stream of, I don't know, healing potions, right? Yep. But that's exactly, that's when I've been in that situation, I don't really like doing it, but yeah, I am. Um, yeah, it's healing potions, healing scrolls, that sort of stuff. How about you, Chris? Do you have uh, have you been in the situation either as a player or a GM? No, um, and partly because like I don't I don't particularly love running dungeons <laughs> when it comes down to it, <laughs> right? Like yeah, like that's not that's not exactly my idea of a good time. Chris, um, Chris, I'm gonna have to ask you to leave the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As we've discussed before, I think like right, like I mean, if if, if we could just kind of play pretend, I think I'd be just as happy as D and D. But D and D gives us some rules, so that's great. Whatever. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I, I think the the thing that kind of immediately comes to my mind is: Have you ever experimented with just, just giving them sort of NPCs? Like, so each person has has their character, and then also an NPC from town. I play periodically with my wife and daughter and occasionally with like a friend or two of my daughters. Uh, When I have a situation where like it's just the two of them or it's a small group, I will often give each player two full player characters. Um, That's interesting. I have not, I have never really done like the henchman thing where the player controls a character and then some like kind of minor supporting cast. But I have done the, like, give everybody two players, which is not an ideal situation for a lot of reasons. Um, uh, How about you guys? Have you ever, uh, like, have you ever had players run more than one character or run a character and then, like, followers or henchmen? No, but I love it. (laughs) I think I'm about to. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's such, it's this, uh, the henchman thing is, it's really got a kind of old school first edition feel to it. Because if you read through, like original Dungeons and Dragons first edition, there is this assumption that you are hiring like people to go into the dungeon with you. You know, you're hiring torchbearers and scouts and, you know, these people to do it. And that's never been a part of my D&D experience. It's just never appealed to me or the groups that I've been in. But I've always wondered what would it be like if you were in a very real sense, some of these old dungeons, you were supposed to be going in with like a, a large party and your players were just the leaders of it. Have you guys ever fiddled with that? Yeah, it seems like sort of a lot of bookkeeping. Uh, like, honestly, it's like, yeah, like, do I really need a torch bearer when it can just be like, well, I'm holding a torch? <laughs> yeah, I think the, I have a couple of players that have um, familiars um, that we've, we've ended up sort of giving more personality hmm. as the time goes, goes, um, time goes by. Um, so that, that to me is sort of an interesting way to do it. Cause like the familiar can do a few minor things. Um, it does give them as a character sort of more options to, yeah. Um, that they can do per turn, you know, or even just within the role playing, role playing segments of the game too. Yeah. So I mean, that's probably how I would maybe approach it. Is like, yeah, you get you get sort of a familiar or an NPC, something that has just a few actions that they can do, but doesn't have a whole lot of personality outside of sort of their relationship to the character. Because otherwise, then yeah, you have people I think trying to to do too much with the with role playing or just failing at that, and then they're just kind of treating them as um as different outputs for actions. I hate to, uh, this is one of my uh, 
this is I have a confession to make, and that is uh, I hate familiars as a GM. I yeah. hate it when players have like any sort of companion animal. Yeah. And I, I don't like that. I hate it because it's it's so it's such a fun idea. And, you know, how can you say no to a, a cool druid with like a sweet wolf companion or something like that? But I uh, it's because I forget about the companion. Oh, yeah. Until like and then I realize like, you know, an, an hour into some sort of, you know, like scene in which it's not appropriate that a dire wolf be like present with us, you know, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, there's. There's a giant owl or a dire wolf in here this whole time. Now I've got to figure out what to do with this animal. But. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. But for me, it's more like I forget that they have a thing that can fly up, up <laughs> yes. in the sky and see. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they always wreck my encounters. They're like, oh, well, I'm just going to send it down to swim. And I'm like, well, you know. Yeah, you could. <laughs> I yeah. guess, sure. But, oh. Yeah. I was supposed to take two hours and we're done in 10 minutes and yeah. I gotta yeah. come up with something else. <laughs> well, I know that no one would probably actually do this, but uh, this whole thing with henchmen and followers, I always have this kind of like fear that it will ruin the the dungeon crawling experience because if you, it's such a practical thing to do. Like, why would why would a couple of you go into this death trap dungeon when you could hire like 30 <laughs> guys to go with you? And then I just have this... Like if I start going down that road of what would you actually do, practically speaking, I feel like we would lose most of what makes D&D magical because it re yeah. requires that you're not doing the practical thing, right? Well, in the lower levels, you are those those henchmen, aren't you, right? Like That's you true. have yep. no gold. You're like, well, let's work for hire, I guess. But yeah, you're right. You do have to kind of, everyone has to tacitly participate in the game, right? Like, why don't we all go home and go farming? <laughs> yeah. Okay, you okay, can. You can do that. Yeah. yeah. How, are you, how are your pumpkins doing? That's yeah. not really why we're here. Yeah, we, I, I had some players try to hire, you know, like, so every town has like the adventurer who's, you know, hung up his sword and they tried to hire him. I was like, well, I guess there's no reason like why why he wouldn't but at the same time like no <laughs> yeah so it's like no like you just like i'm, I'm retired and you're like, I, don't, I don't fight anymore this is your battle like you know that sort of thing but it's like well you clearly you have like a level 10 fighter just hanging out in this town farming you know like why can't he so um speaking again about uh kind of undermanned adventuring parties um, and Jess, it sounded like I'm curious how your group is handling this. So what do you do in those situations where you just lack just lack like a key skill that's important for getting through the section of the dungeon or whatever that they're in? Yeah. So this summer I wrote and ran a really fun murder in the Feywild. A mur yeah, murder mystery in the Feywild. Um, and it was a small party. It started with three and we ended up adding a fourth person halfway through. So I relied pretty heavily because it was Faye on um, magic and magical items. Those kind of filled in the stop gaps. Kind of we were talking earlier, like healing potions, but more scrolls with the, uh, the knock spell or different things that they could use um, at different points throughout the adventure to kind of help them through. I find in situations like that, it's way more fun if the players have like interesting spells and abilities at their disposal rather than powerful ones, because a group, a typical group of players, given, you know, an invisibility spell and a, a flight spell and a few other things can find some crazy way around almost any obstacle, even if, <laughs> you know, they, they lack the most straightforward skills or abilities that they need to get past it. 
I had a recent session where they were down to just three players and they were lacking a couple of, you know, specific sorts, kinds of party members. I think they didn't have any magic users with them, but uh, I was really surprised the players kind of recognized that and they just decided to sort of do do stuff that more sort of worked with what um, what they were good at. It's kind of like if you, I think exactly what you're saying, Andy, if they understand the situation and you don't give them sort of an overpowered thing just because like you're worried about something, they'll come up with a clever, clever way around it. Hmm. So it got mentioned earlier, but uh, so I have run some number of one-on-one role-playing sessions. Have you guys done that? What is, does, does the thought of that sound intriguing or is that, does that not sound fun at all to you guys? Yeah, I did. Um, we did a Blades in the Dark, you and me. That, yep. um, we were on that. That was super fun. Um, although <laughs> Blades in the Dark talk about being balanced for more than one player. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you had a rough time. But it was it was a fun, fun session. How about you, Jess? No, I haven't. I've done um, like session zeros with people mm-hmm. um, uh, to kind of figure out where they're coming from, what their character is, and really give them a chance for the first time to kind of step into their character uh-huh. and um, walk up to the bartender and order, you know, as a, how would a dragonborn order a beer, right? Like, what are we doing here? Um, <laughs> but no, I haven't, I haven't done a full game that way. So by session zero, do you mean you'll meet with the player individually and run kind of an introductory uh, yes. like session just for them? Yep. So typically it's a great way for me to take a look at their character sheet, make sure, not that I know the rules, you know, inside and out, but make sure everything looks pretty. They haven't forgotten anything. Their AC doesn't seem crazy off. Um, And then, yeah, to give them a chance. I don't want them to have too much of a super strict background, but I want them to have a sense of who their character is, right? How do they behave, uh, like I said, in a public place, right? Walking down the street, going to try and buy a sword. How would this character go about it? What what are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? I think especially for my players who haven't played uh, a lot of RPGs before, putting yourself in the body of your character is kind of a new experience and it can be a little intimidating to do it in front of six other people for the first time. So a session zero is a great way for uh, me to get to know them, get to know their character and for them to try out, you know, the voices and the mannerisms and those things that kind of naturally show up at the table and um, just for the very first time, give them, give them a try. That's a fantastic idea. Yeah. Yeah, my session zeros are all very dry, and it's like, well, this is a D20. <laughs> like, yeah. So oh, there's that, that, too. There's a lot of that. This is a D12. This is a D10. They're different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just barely. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> so do you, um, right, so I'm pretty intrigued. So, like, when you're doing this one-on-one session, so it sounds like you do a little bit of just, like, hey, here's your character sheet and all that. And then do you just run everybody sort of through the same scenario, or have you, do you pick something that's sort of specific to their character? Usually something will come up when we're going through the sheet. Um, oh, you were born in a cult. What it, What was that experience? How yeah. did you leave the cult? What was that? And then they'll start talking about it. And then, you know, um, something will kind of emerge. And typically it really builds pretty nicely. But I like the idea actually of maybe that would be an interesting experiment, right? To say, okay, here's your new character. So happy to meet you. You got to go buy your weapon for this adventure. How do you do it? Right. Yeah. And seeing how each of those characters did, it would probably be a pretty fun experiment just for, you know, for me to watch. Oh yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. Or you could even have like some sort of um, like obstacle course that everybody has to go through. Yes. Yeah. I like that too. <laughs> yeah. You, uh, if, if you don't make it through this obstacle course, you're not in the game. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's fantastic. I'm going to uh, I'm going to have to do that the next game I run. I have to I have to admit, although I am aware of the concept of session zeros, I really don't do them, and it's mostly because 
it's so hard to schedule uh, game nights that if I use one up, you know, doing it with just one player or something like that, it would be difficult schedule wise. But I, I just need to start doing that. Uh. Yeah. And, you know, stuff, um, I've done a couple of them over video chat, right? Like it's, uh, it doesn't, and they don't have to be necessarily very long either. But I think, I guess, especially since so many of the people I play with are new, giving them that first chance to uh, slip into the character in whatever form is pretty cool. Right. Okay. Well, I think we should we should wrap up. This was a really good discussion. Um, thank you so much. Yeah. So the the last thing that we want to do is so we have we've rolled on the table and we've used up one of these topics, so we need to replace it. Um, so <laughs> I didn't tell you about this, Jess, but um, do you have anything that you want to add to the table as a topic? And I'm going to stall for you for a minute. Yeah. And so uh, yeah, some some unlucky uh, person is going to have to discuss this with us in the future. I'm having a hard time getting my players to go through doors right now. They're all clumping up at doors and like launching oh. their attack and then backing up. And so <laughs> it's really frustrating and I'm having a hard time getting people to actually like enter the room where the combat's happening. So that is, oh, a, one, that is wonderful <laughs> a to hear something question. so specific. It's yeah. so oddly specific, but I'm like, guys, just go in the room. And they're like, no, no. <laughs> And so they're all like fighting their way to the door and like launching their spell and then like backing up and it's really inelegant. <laughs> this uh, this sounds related to a problem I have, which is uh, like when the scout when there's a scout in the party and they you have to run almost two separate games as the scout like is perpetually like two rooms ahead of everybody else and you have to I don't know. There's a lot of little specific nitty gritty problems we should probably get on the uh, table of topics, Chris, because. Yeah, it would be really fun to discuss a question like Jess's. Also, another another thing I uh, so the next session I'm playing with my group, it's one of my players birthday. Mm. Uh, and so I wanted to give him like a special like birthday magical item that his character could have. And so I think uh, I started digging around online and there is a whole amazing world of quirky, somewhat useless magical items that kind of like we said earlier are not super overpowered and not super direct but if you give uh players a creative opportunity to use them i think could be totally fantastic so yeah so like yeah that's like a <laughs> useless useful <laughs> yeah or just not obviously applicable i guess those are the kind of magic items i i absolutely love as as a gm because it's like yeah it's not just a plus one sword it's a you know sword that um yeah, it gets plus one against like wood and minus one against metal. <laughs> yeah, or I mean, a plus three sword is so boring, but a sword that, you know, teleports back to you or something like that, people will use that to wreck yeah. some encounter in the most glorious possible way. Yeah. Oh, so much. Yeah, just wreck. Wreck is the right word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, hey, uh, Jess, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this was a great conversation. It was great to meet you. Yes, you guys as well. Thank you so much. And best of yeah, luck on so. your uh, game or games that you're running. Thank you. Yeah, and we'll have to we'll have to have you back on sometime. I would love to. Sounds wonderful. All right. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much, everybody. Um, and remember, if your players are having fun, you're a great GM. <laughs> <laughs>